0: uh hey guys so i was uh i wasn't gonna do uh intros and outros for this episode because i i like to mix it up a little bit and not always do them and then i remembered i should probably have a small disclaimer for this episode it's a fantastic one but we also talk about what happens to a body when it dies and that might irk some people out. So I thought I'd give you a little heads up. I think it's fantastic. And uh, I think you're really going to love the episode, but I didn't want to get someone like, I'm traumatized from hearing about insects crawling in my ears or whatever. So that, and I'm also, I happen to be in, I'm in Northern Wisconsin right now, taking my first, my hair's all in my eyes. I just got off of an ATV taking my first trip since covid having a lovely time i'm here with my wonderful assistant uh rihanna you can follow him on instagram and her boyfriend one of my best friends steve gillespie super funny guy you should follow him as well i need to say that because we're just holding the camera right now so i gotta say all these things um but i also it's a kind of an early birthday thing for me so if you're wondering what to get Your favorite podcaster or top 100 podcaster for their 41st birthday, which is May 25th. It's the same thing any podcaster wants. It's a favorable, thoughtful review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you podcast. Get Give your favorite podcasters the gift of favorable algorithm uh, engagement when you write something like that it's not just the number of downloads a podcast gets it's also when you write it other people like you other people that like the sort of things that you like are going to get recommended my podcast so it's a good way to help a small podcast like mine grow and grow the community so thank you guys for listening and watching and enjoy this episode Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. My name is Shane Moss. Today's guest is Associate Professor in the Biosystems Engineering and Soil Science Department at the University of Tennessee, and is also part of the One Health uh, initiative that we've been plugging um, from time to time on this show. We're trying to been trying to get about one guest on uh, a month, cause a big fan of what what they're doing and all the people they've been sending my way. And uh, today I'm talking with Jennifer Debrun is joining me today. Jennifer, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, thank you.
0: And it's Debrun, right? Did I nail it? You
1: nailed it. That That's Debrun. Was, oh,
0: first try, yes usually listeners have to hear i always tell listeners how many takes it took me to get the intro right just for their, just so they know Uh, someone's tracking the data somewhere um but nail on the first try i think that's good luck but i don't know i don't think it's ever happened before but i um i very much appreciate you joining me today
1: well thank you it's a pleasure to be here
0: all right so easiest way to usually get started and especially because I think some of the stuff that you have to talk about is uh, maybe a little probably stuff we haven't talked about on the show uh, before and so so there might be some um, some 101 uh, type stuff that that myself and the listeners would benefit from but why don't you uh, why don't you give a little bit of your background?
2: Sure
1: so I'm an environmental microbiologist um, so I study microbes. In all kinds of environments. And one of the great things about that field is it means I can work in a lot of different areas. Um, so I actually started working um, in lake systems I, as an undergraduate student. I was doing research on the Great Lakes. Um, when I got into graduate st- school, I started working um, on microbes and sediments that were degrading pollutants. Um, And then when I started um, a faculty job, I started getting more into soil microbiology and understanding um, microbes in more terrestrial systems. And from there, I got connected with researchers at the anthropology research facility here at the University of Tennessee. Uh, They are better known as the um, body farm here at the University of Tennessee, where they study uh, human decomposition. Um, And it was just through some early conversations with some of the faculty there that there were some patterns in decomposition that didn't quite make sense. And I thought it might have something to do with the microbes in the system. Uh, So they were chatting with me, asked me what I knew about microbes associated with human decomposition, which was nothing at the time, but it was intriguing enough to me that that I started looking into it, started doing a little research, realizing at the time we knew very little about that field. I mean, we knew microbes were involved in decomposition, but we didn't know which ones or how, or even why they were important. Um, And so that became kind of my first research project as as a brand new faculty member um, and I've been working in that area ever since.
0: So. <laughs> That's uh, life takes a lot of strange paths, doesn't it? Absolutely, <laughs> doesn't it? absolutely.
1: But never was, intended to get into that field.
0: Never, as a little girl, you never once thought, maybe I'll get into how human bodies decompose. Never, nope. it never crossed your mind. Interesting. No,
1: nope. nope. I was always interested in environmental science. Yeah. Um. And in, in fact, I was I was lucky enough to grow up in one of the um, world's premier environmental science field sites. Um, I grew up at a place um, called uh, Environmental Lakes Area. So this, was, is this is way up in Canada, northern okay. Ontario, um, middle of nowhere. Kenora, Ontario is probably the closest city. My father was a field biologist there. So I spent my summers at this research site. Um, and this site is famous for doing whole lake manipulation studies. Um, and they've, they've just contributed, you know, astoundingly to our understanding of limnology and aquatic science. Um, so as a little girl, I sort of remember running around the, the lakes and the boats and the science equipment and the labs and the phytoplankton and zooplankton nets and all of these things so i kind of you know was was attuned to that but the um the Mm. body decomposition stuff that was that was something that that i was not expecting or thinking about at all Mm. um, as i was preparing for this career
0: Um, so yeah i mean i'm i'm gonna get i'm gonna get angry emails if i don't ask you um the the walking dead show how accurate are they nailing it are they how does how's the makeup person doing are they consulting with people like you before they do
1: so i have never watched it (laughs) uh i'm a little embarrassed to admit, admit that but I've never oh
0: you do not dead. need to be embarrassed for, <laughs> for yeah, not yeah. having seen the walking dead um, you, you could you could watch season season one and be done with it okay, for sure. okay. yeah maybe at some point
1: maybe i'll put on this no and, you know i never uh i've never been into crime novels never watched oh, yeah. CSI or any of those shows
0: yeah Just, so so what what uh so you're an environmental uh, um uh, uh, uh microbiologist what what did you discover about human decomposition that that was kind of relevant to your field why did they bring you in
1: Yeah so it was um it became fascinating to me from an ecology or an environmental perspective um, until until i had actually seen a body decomposing i hadn't really thought very much about it and i think one of the things that struck me was just how alive the system looked you know you have this mm. this dead body but all around it there's there's all kinds of insects uh, mm. there's fly larvae maggots um, there's there's movements, there's sounds, there's smells from all of these other organisms that are making a living off of this one dead resource. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is kind of a little pop-up ecosystem in and of itself. Um, and I just became fascinated by this um kind of transient resource in an environment, a dead thing that's hosting all of these other organisms making a living off of it. And then and then going away so mm-hmm. that was what kind of captured me and made me very interested in it
0: well i think uh, if you're if you're in a soil science department you you've, you're somewhat familiar with the idea of things falling over and on top of the soil stuff and, and probably being fairly good for it in a lot of ways
1: Right, right. Uh, I've spent a lot of my career thinking about decomposition generally. Mm-hmm. So previously I was thinking about breakdown of, of pollutants. And this to me just seemed like the next sort of interesting breakdown problem. Mm. Um, and I think one of the things that, that makes it so um, interesting when you think about it in terms of ecosystems is just how, how concentrated and how short term it is as a nutrient source. So we, we in our bodies, we actually have a lot of, of nutrients, particularly nitrogen, that the environment, especially terrestrial environments, is usually starved for. Um, you know, Plants are usually nitrogen limited. And, and so you get all of this big bucket of nitrogen that we've been accumulating our whole lives, dumps into a single spot. Yeah. And within, you know, in summer months, within the matter of, of weeks to a month, it's pretty much all redistributed into the environment
0: that's a great week for soil when something when something keels over on it but you can't count on that you're the chances of something walking by again and keeling over in that same spot that's just you hit the jackpot once in a while right
1: right it's transient and it's patchy Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting
1: Uh, yeah and i mean we know that this is important in other environments too um one great example is whale falls. So when a big whale dies in the ocean, sinks to the bottom of the, of the seafloor, mm. where there's very little nutrients, very little carbon coming in, not a lot of action going on until that whale hits. And it just feeds this whole ecosystem and whole succession of organisms that, that feast, make a living off of that, recycle those nutrients back into the environment
0: life will make use of everything it's amazing yes. you can uh, y- you can never have a, a whale plop down in this one spot in the ocean in hundreds of years and then one plops down and they're like we know just what to do with this this is <laughs> this is it just has at it nothing goes to waste
1: yes exactly
0: um can you so this is a rather everything every time there's a subject that's like this, this kind of far outside of my wheelhouse, I'm always a little bit intimidated and experiencing a bit more imposter syndrome and everything than, than usual. And I'm, I'm wondering if, um, maybe could you give us like a little 101, just environmental microbiology, like, uh, some, some of the basics, uh, if, if you're going into a 101 course, what are some of the things that you're going to learn in that first semester?
1: Well, when we think about, um, I'll scale it back from environmental and focus a little bit more on soil systems because that's sure. mostly what we work on. Sure. Um, but yeah, if you break it down to its fundamentals, um, soil is a really, really complex environment or a mm-hmm. habitat for life. Okay. So the first thing to understand about microbes is that they're dealing with, with um, an environment that has solids, liquids, and gases. It's got this complex structure of pore spaces that you can kind of move around some of them, but maybe not if you're too big. And it's got a lot of heterogeneity, so a lot of variability. Um, Over very short distances in soils, you can go from having um, fully oxygenated gases or, or atmosphere to fully anoxic or no oxygen within millimeters in a soil system. So it's a, it's a, there's a lot of steep gradients or a lot of uh, variation over very short distances in soil. So microbes that have figured out how to be successful in soil are incredibly diverse in order to take advantage of all those different um, nutritional or physical. Habitats in soil, um, so they take advantage of all these little pore spaces um, and can squeeze in there to avoid predation. Um, they're very dependent on water in the soil for moving things around because they may not be able to move around very much. Um, and then, because of these gradients that I mentioned, you get a huge diversity of metabolisms. So some microbes uh, need need to use oxygen, aerobic. Some of them can't tolerate oxygen at all, the anaerobes, um, and, and will actually die in the presence of oxygen. And others are somewhere in between, and maybe they can switch between the two. Um, so they've evolved all these metabolisms that allow them to, to use resources and make a living in ways that we don't see in higher plants and animals. Um, and that contributes just to this phenomenal diversity of organisms that we can see in soil. Mm um the other thing about soil life is that it's mostly microbial um and people kind of underappreciate the amount of amount of life that we do have in soils just because we can't see a lot of it soil is opaque and these things are microbes and so you don't really think about it when you're walking around how much life is actually below your feet
0: yeah so yeah all, all all of this diversity the way that it, you. You go through some, um, you you go on a hike or something like that, or or you visit the Amazon or or some some place kind of less touched by modern civilization, and if, I imagine you see quite a bit of diversity just from uh, within a walking distance from uh, one another, even even much shorter than that, uh, and then you have humans um all of a sudden that that kind of figure out these amazing tool makers that are that are so adaptive to environments they're actually able to then adapt environments to kind of suit their needs or or uh try and there's all of these kind of in uh, these unexpected consequences um to doing that what happens once you start having um something like farmland where where your um there's some deforestation you're kind of getting this this one huge stretch of land that's i, I imagine there's still some diversity but a, a lot more uniform than you would see in an area that humans haven't touched uh what are what are some of the implications once you start doing i i hear about um uh soil losing its nutrients over time and um can you talk a little bit about that
1: sure so much of soil life is dependent on uh the organic matter coming in that's that's kind of what's feeding all of the the food webs and organisms and so they're very much dependent on plants uh or animals we were talking about you know dead Animals or, or humans as resources, but plant matter is is a large part of the inputs. And so, if you have a greater uh, amount and and diversity of, of those organic inputs into soil, you're going to have a greater diversity of organisms using those. So, when you talk about deforestation, if you're taking away plant communities, or if you're switching from a um, a diverse multi species plant community to a monoculture, you're Definitely going to lose soil diversity because you're mm-hmm. you're reducing the different types of food sources that they have. Mm. So you're going to select for a few few specialists that happen to be really good at eating that plants, molecules, and uh, and the rest are going to go away.
0: So what what are the what are some of the common consequences of that?
1: A loss of of diversity in the soil. Yeah. Yeah. So the. The microbes in soil are really key to cycling carbon and nutrients and other elements through the soil. Um, And when you start losing diversity, you start to lose some of those really key functions that the microbes are performing. Um, They'll also do things like degrade pollutants um, or help resist pathogens or, or pests. And if you start taking away members of the community that are helping with those functions. You're going to start to slowly lose some of those functions.
0: Hmm. And so is there anything as as we are uh, becoming more and more aware of of some of the effects as, as we now have uh yeah soil science didn't uh didn't exist at the advent of agriculture there were there were a lot of uh uh, things people couldn't possibly wrap their head around uh, the the impact of what was going to happen um over time of of planting the same crop in these monocultures over uh, years and decades what Uh, what kind of modern tools are, uh, are used in agriculture today to offset some of the, um, negative impacts of that loss of diversity?
1: Yeah. So there's, uh, there's a movement towards using, um, better agricultural practices that do help, um, maintain and even help build, um, diversity in soil. I think, I think, we're starting to recognize just how important soil microbes are to the health and functioning of soil. Mm. So some of those practices, um, can be using cover crops. So rather than leaving your soil bare in between your may crop, you plant something over the winter that helps keep the soil covered, helps keep soil in place. And it's providing, um, new plants and a diversity of plants, more resources for those microbes, more organic matter into the soil so you can build that that healthy soil community. Um, Some people are switching to uh, more conservative tillage practices. Um, So aggressive tilling of the soil can break up uh, aggregates or the clumps in soil and soil microbes make their homes in between these aggregates. That's really, that's kind of like their house, that's their, their shelter. So when you start destroying that soil structure, you're basically destroying the little habitat that all these organisms live wow. in. Soil gets compacted, organisms are unhappy, and you lose diversity. So using uh, either no tillage or a more conservative tilling approach um, can help maintain that soil structure and keep keep all these microbes' homes intact.
0: Hmm. Okay, so, so you don't just... Uh, uh what 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 is that how do how do you have a more conservative because i i can picture the uh, the soil being tilled you have this nice row being dug out and then you see the seeds going and then the nice perfect rows of corn um come out. is there a what do you uh, do you lose some of that perfect kind of organized linear rows of of things if you're if you're looking to um plant a little more naturally, I guess.
1: Um, it definitely, so farms, when you start to, to adopt these, these more, um, I would say soil, soil friendly approaches, um, definitely start to look less neat, Mm -hmm. um, they don't have that perfect, like bare soil with perfect rows of corn in, um, because cover crops, they kind of look like weeds. Um, so and if you have multi-species, you can have all different heights, and so it doesn't have that like perfect homogeneous look look anymore. Um, but there's ways to till um, or um, to till more minimally. That's you can still put rows of of crops in. Um, so disking is one way, which um, rather than than sort of um, pushing and turning the soil over, just sort of cuts into the soil so that you can plant. So that would be one approach.
0: So uh, uh, there's. I, I don't have I probably don't have that many farmer listeners, but I I, I, pro- I probably have a lot of people that have a yard. Uh, what's going on? What's going on with yards? Usually, I talk with uh, environmental scientists. They're like yards, boo. Uh, the 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 idea of having this um, the leave it to beaver. Every all, each neighbor is competing to have. They're perfect, lush green. One species of grass that's a, at the exact right height that we've all agreed on is the perfect height for grass to be. And uh, what's up with that? You, you, uh, you against it? Am I right in guessing you like throw a little diversity in those yards? Maybe, maybe find some some new ways to advertise our uh our um landscape
1: yeah yards are kind of a diversity desert it's a thing i mean it's (laughs) yeah they are it's a single species of grass um and they're usually uh non-native grasses that are shallow rooting um and so you're only getting like we talked about earlier you're only getting one kind of type of organic matter coming into your system Um, and the shallow roots are are less than ideal getting more deeper rooting plants um, for example some native warm season grasses which have really really deep roots that extends the the carbon that's going deep into your soil it makes for just a much bigger rhizosphere area rhizosphere being the area around the plant roots This is one of the hot spots of of microbial activity in soil Um, that's where a lot of their food is that's where a lot of the uh, microbes are going to live make a living and be converting this organic matter or or converting plant inputs back into soil organic matter that's kind of your your storage locker for um for future seasons so lawns are not the most ideal thing but i have one so (laughs) you know i can't come out too too hard right. i'm slowly trying to take it away um
0: what are you doing husband
1: is kind of resistant to it so yeah he, i, I he see likes that like so
0: <laughs> yeah well i mean what what options are there for people because you uh, all right let's just uh, uh let, let's just let nature take its course you know a, a, a few years go by i imagine you're going to start getting a lot of complaints from the neighbors or or people are people think you're decomposing inside and that's why uh, no one's touched this thing in a while are are there things i've heard i've heard in the past that even even things like having having plants that are native to your area rather than importing in the yeah i'm in wisconsin let's see if we can make a palm tree grow in here and, and then I bet i'll get a lot of compliments on that palm tree and and then um in uh california or whatever they're they're bringing trees from wisconsin uh because everyone wants to have the different like exotic plant or whatever to show off Uh, but but what about just even including some of the the native plants in the area and and doing it what if if people are looking to um spruce up because there has to be a way to make your landscape look uh good maybe even more interesting than your neighbors while doing it in a uh, maybe I don't even need to say eco-friendly. A slightly more eco-friendly way than than the standard um, kind of clear cutting. What do you have any ideas?
1: Yeah, no. You bring up native plants, and that's a great, great, and easy thing that you can do around your house. And it's native plants are great because they're adapted to your area already, so you don't have to overcompensate with um, extra watering or extra fertilizer typically because because they're already they like growing there they're adapted to that soil that climate um they're if they're growing successfully in that area they probably are resistant to pests that are in your area Mm -hmm. um so you you don't need to baby them as much as and they're being pollinated naturally by
0: the native insects that are in your area and
1: Right. right you're promoting native pollinator and bird and wildlife that are all used to, to eating and using those resources. Um, so it's kind of a win-win both for you as a homeowner, because you don't spend as much worrying about whether this thing is going to be successful in your yard. Um, but it also has all these additional benefits for the for the larger ecosystem. Um, and I am starting to see more uh, landscape designers um, using natives and being interested in using native landscaping and, and still making it beautiful. There's a lot of really really special native plants that just need uh, just need a little more promotion.
0: Mhm. Um all right. Well, this is a very scary thing for me to ask you, but what can you can you tell us a little bit about um what uh, like explain um uh, microbes a bit and micro microbi- so just a little background. I I don't know anything about chemistry. It scares me. Uh, it's just one of those fields, and 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 microbiology kind of falls in that. I I I have an easy time understanding like bigger global systems, and I I, I spend a lot of time talking about um, mammals and and human behavior that sort of thing. And when it gets down to the the very very small, that's when uh, I I really um, don't know much of anything at all, but I'm interested.
1: So, microbes are microscopic organisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to focus on the single cells, the bacteria and archaea. Um, and you know, you say you're you're you kind of like to think about things in a in a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. um but ironically even though i'm a microbiologist i do too mm-hmm. i'm just thinking about the processes these large scale these global processes that are mediated by these tiny tiny organisms mm. um so
0: like you what? know I'm not
1: always thinking about them on that on that, on that... Scale, scale oh good
0: well then we can be I... friends uh... <laughs> <laughs>
1: i mean i mean ironically i study microbes but don't rarely use a microscope that's not that's not (laughs) one of the things in our wheelhouse
0: all right i was that's that's (laughs) the whole thing i've been scared about this whole time (laughs) like oh man i'm gonna have to understand things at a microscopic level no Um, and i would say the
1: the only thing you really need to appreciate about microbes and and other microbiologists are probably going to to You're going to get so much hate
0: mail from the many microbiologists (laughs) I have listening right now.
1: But they're going to... So they're organisms just like everything else on the planet, and so they have the exact same uh, fundamental need to grow and reproduce, right? Every other organism on the planet does that. Microbes are no different either. Uh, They spend most of their, their little lives swimming or just hanging out somewhere, trying to get, get food, get resources, get energy so that they can make more of themselves.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Right. And that yeah. is not any different than any other organism, Right, uh, single cells. So it's a little bit more of a simplistic process. Um, but, but at its core, it's the same. They, they consume things, um, to make more of themselves to grow. They take in energy to fuel those processes just like we do Mm -hmm. um, and hope to reproduce more than their neighbor so that they can outcompete them.
0: Well, what about, um, you you know, there's actually, it it seems like there's becoming a public interest in the microbiome and the gut biome. These are things that have, have... for for someone who's been in, in, interested in science for um, you know some time, uh, and a little frustrated that um, I, I guess we all probably want people to appreciate the things that we <laughs> we appreciate, um, but it it is it's interesting how much I see just in regular pop culture o- over the last especially five years or so, lots of microbiome talk, lots of gut biome talk. What's going on with that? why is this all of the sudden kind of becoming this field people are getting interested in? is it is it related to I, I know it's often related to nutrition was was there some? Was there something that happened? Was there like a book that came out that everyone got excited about? Or was it just it eventually, as people became more and more mindful about their health or what they were eating, uh, what's going on with that?
1: A lot of that is actually just because of methodology. Mm. So most microbes can't be grown in a lab. Um, depending who you ask, that estimate varies, but something like 95 to 99% of organisms that live out there in the world can't be grown in the lab. So we don't know a whole lot about them. Um, and I don't think we even really appreciated how many were out there until we started doing a high throughput sequencing. So we started with um, DNA sequencing to investigate microbes um, that started in the, in the seventies already.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and that work, which was done by uh, a famous scientist by the name of Carl Woes um, revealed to us when, when he started using DNA sequences from the environment to look at, you know, what things were out there, he realized that there was Way more diversity out there than we had accounted for based on what we had in the lab or what we had observed previously. So there's all these DNA sequences out there of things that we don't we don't know what they are. They're they're totally new. Um, so that really revolutionized um, our thinking about how much diversity was out there. And then from the 70s through the I would say up until about the the early. 2000s mid 2000s um we were using sequencing to investigate microbes but just because of the the methods it we weren't getting a lot of sequences in a single sample so we might be looking at 100 maybe 200 sequences would be a pretty big um uh, uh sample of that then mm-hmm. and then in the mid 2000s came the advent of high throughput sequencing. So there was a couple of companies that that had different technologies, but it it allowed us to start getting, to go from hundreds of sequences per samples to, to thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and now we're at millions of reads per sequences or per, per wow. sample. So we could we could dive into to the diversity of DNA sequences in a sample at a depth that we had just never been able to do before. Mm. So once we could do that, we could go back to all these environments that we suspected to have a lot of interesting microbes like our guts, like the soil, like the deep ocean. We could go back to these and actually get a lot of sequence information and start to piece together all the microorganisms that were living there that didn't match anything we had in culture. So I think that was one of the, the key steps forward in terms of generating this interest into microbiome research mm. and then once we started doing that we actually had the the data and we had the statistical power to start to link um changes to the types of microbes say in our guts to diet to health to whatever your question was um, so it, yeah it was really this advent in in technology that allowed us to start asking questions and get the data in a in a in a, in, a, in a deep enough way to actually answer some of those things and yeah. of course like anything as soon as you start answering one question you've got 20 more to, to look at
0: right I mean it, it is it is so fascinating just to think of on on a kind of a um, uh, microbial level we have just like this uh, a single human has this whole multiverse of all of these different systems and there's all these symbiotic relationships and it's all just been so fine tuned, uh, over time. And, and what even are we? Am I just bacteria? What is this? And, uh, but even, e- even just you go to the grocery store and now it's, everyone's just like, well, you I, I need probiotics I gotta well I gotta get kombucha or I'm gonna I'm gonna die I'm a big butcher I, I'm uh, I, I got on the booch train years ago i I can't say that I've noticed a big difference that I can specifically <laughs> attribute to kombucha I enjoy the way that it tastes uh, and and often um it, I, you know, I'm always suspicious whenever like some new whenever like organic or cage free or whatever like I'm always like love the idea and is that really what's going on or is this just this is this just some form of advertisement is this this just some buzzword that's being used that's hot right now is is the probiotic sorry i'm talking with a soil scientist here I don't mean to <laughs> But just 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 because it's it's connecting with something that's popular in the culture right now Uh, is the probiotic stuff. Is it important? Is it being oversold? Is it somewhere in the middle? Uh, You got any thoughts on it?
1: I, I'm not as familiar with that area of research. That's that's fine. You're you're less about keeping people
0: alive, more about what happens when they die. And then I think,
1: I think a lot about what those microbes are doing after their host is, is dead. So I'm not, I don't know as much about those. Oh, that's, that's totally
0: fine. I'm actually, I'm actually way more interested in what happens (laughs) when I die too. So, so first of all this is like i'm not i was always going um cremation route i i think the whole casket they i never had an interest in that but now i think throw me actually in the ground somewhere put me out in a field so are people doing that are people like stick me under this tree i always liked that tree is that a thing people are asking for these days
1: absolutely isn't oh
0: it? that's yeah. the way that i'm going then i want to be a yeah. tree all right what break it down for me what's gonna happen first off i want i want i mean it's it's the money you save on a casket isn't it's going into like timing out like i want to be dumped off like right under i because i want the whole i want the whole experience i don't want anything to be wasted so i want to fall over under a tree and then what what happens from there what's the first uh what what's the first steps that start happening
1: so the first thing that happens after you die because your heart stops pumping
0: mm-hmm. is
1: you start getting you start losing oxygen to all of your cells okay um when cells are starved of oxygen they start basically committing cell suicide or something called autolysis. They start breaking down. So they start breaking themselves down. So your tissues start breaking down um, fairly soon after death. And while that's going on, your gut microbes, we were just talking about. Actually,
0: do do you mind if I stop you just for a second there? When you say when you say cell suicide what what does that actual what does that mechanism actually look like in in a cell like how does it what what's the difference between being out of resources and just uh, uh falling apart or whatever and actually like uh, uh, cell suicide you make it seem like an intention like there's some mechanism going We uh, this is the self-destruct mode because is it to like try to help the other cells that are living what's what's happening there
1: um so i'm i'm not a cell death expert but yes their cells do have mechanisms um they produce special enzymes and they basically shut down and purposely kill themselves and this happens all the time uh even in your living body when you know a cell it's i don't know again i don't know why or how but it gets a signal that it's not wanted or not needed
0: anymore um and will it'll I it's like all right yeah and then a new one grows
1: in its place so i think this is a really normal part of the cellular mechanics. Right. but again that's a little bit outside of that's fine um, <laughs> what i work on
0: yeah, that's fine um
1: yeah. but yeah so you have your cells in the body are starting to kind of bust open mm-hmm. uh, and break down and then at the same time, the microbes that are in your, in your gut, primarily, and you have microbes everywhere, but, but a lot of them are concentrated in your gut. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these microbes that, were, that you've been feeding with kombucha and keeping super happy your whole life, they turn on you after you die. Um, so they can sense, uh, and the mechanism of this is not fully understood, but they can kind of sense that the host defenses are down. Um, normally, your gut microbes are kept in check because of your immune system, right? We don't want the Clostridia in our um, in our lower intestines getting out into the rest of our body. Uh, we, when that happens, it's called sepsis, and it's really terrible. So, when we're alive, our body works really hard to keep microbes where they're supposed to be. After death, those mechanisms are shut down. We don't have the immune response anymore the the microbes in our guts can kind of grow at will and they do they start to bloom and go kind of crazy because now all they have they have all this extra food resources from your tissues that are breaking down all these dead cells now are food for your gut microbes so they start eating on those
0: these predators
1: <laughs> they so- do
0: so there's, 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 there's in our living life, there's just this constant war going on of our immune system keeping these things in check. Yeah, I I, I was picturing yeah. it as more of like a peace and love holding hands, working symbiotically together. But this is a full on um, things are being kept in check. Well,
1: they, they're good for us and they do work really well for us as long as they stay in the GI tract yeah we just want to make sure they don't step out of their their cubicle right
0: yeah yeah
1: keep them in place yeah so yeah right i
0: i have a i have a a sepsis expert i've had on to talk about COVID a few times i'm gonna have her back on to actually get into sepsis a little bit more but yeah Yeah, uh so yeah go on
1: yeah so so after death it's it's kind of a similar scenario to sepsis where the where the gut microbes can kind of grow unchecked and they have all these new resources they're mostly anaerobic bacteria, so that means they're using a lot of um, uh, anaerobic decomposition, fermentation um, type pathways, and this produces a lot of gases. Um, and so, if you um, so, oftentimes uh, a dead body will start to bloat. Um, these gases sort of fill up and balloon out if you're buried under a tree you might not get so much because of just the pressure of the soil but if you're on the surface um you know body sort of distends as, as these gases are building up um and and the tissues are slowly being converted over to to fluids basically yeah I, I do what, just tissues. to
0: clarify sorry i to interrupt but i don't yeah i, I also have changed things i don't want to be buried under i want the full experience i want oh, you want just, the
1: full surface. i want to
0: just yeah, throw yeah. Wheelbarrow. yeah yeah i want to i want <laughs> okay. to dissolve well, into the ground i want the worms if po- if there's worms great i know that's like not everyone gets the worms um yeah. but but that's like that's what we think about and that's the like the cliche yeah. in every cartoon and everything and i just i i'm rooting for the worms but i'll, I'll keep my expectations low yeah
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, if you're on the surface, they'll probably be bloating. You sort of blow up a little bit. Um, I'm glad you brought up um, uh, invertebrates because as long as, as long as the temperatures are above about 50 degrees or so, you'll get um, fly species that like to oviposit or lay their eggs inside dead bodies. The body becomes an incubator for their larvae
0: um so you want a nice warm day if you're trying to like really be a source of of life
1: if you like the if you like the insect the entomological aspect of decomposition then i would recommend yeah at least at least above 50 degrees when when flies are more active helpful to Uh, know yeah yeah so they'll lay their eggs those uh the larvae or the maggots um feed on tissues as they're growing that's their primary nutrition store so that helps break down and liquefy those tissues as well and at some point all of this becomes usually becomes a little bit too much for the body to contain and there's some sort of release of the gas and fluids um and the that's the the
0: grand finale that's the fireworks show (laughs) no (laughs) no
1: Well, so I think it just it changes. So okay. so up to that point, it's mostly your gut microbes that are involved. Once things kind of split open and become much more exposed to the environment, environmental microbes can get in on the action. Ooh. So now you have soil and environmental microbes coming from the outside in getting into all these spaces that are now opened up
0: now like, we're truly uh, becoming one with the so, with the earth right, okay right before right. that it, it was just there. the 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 gi the microbiomes the 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 parents the parents left for the weekend and they threw a party and and everything was great and then now it's a right. disaster but now
1: right. now the neighbors okay. are coming in they right heard right. The party <laughs> right and they're coming to join in great um yeah, and so this is when what's really kind of fascinating to me about this this very strange ecosystem is that you have this collision of two microbial communities that don't normally spend a lot of time together, right? You've got soil microbes on one hand and your gut microbes on the other, and usually they're in very separate spaces, but now they're all in the same space. They are using this body as a, as a food source, Um they're breaking down and cycling those nutrients back into the environment. Um, and one of the things we're doing in, in my lab is still trying to resolve what that collision, um, what the outcome of that collision is. Are these are these microbes competing for the same resources? Are they doing separate things? Are they cooperating? Um, is it kind of a uh, like a syntrophy type? A uh, uh, scenario, which which means one group is is breaking down a molecule, which provides a food for another group. So, kind of like a
0: cascade um, chain reaction. Yeah. The
1: cascade exactly. So, we're trying to still understand all of the the successional processes that that are happening in this very dynamic ecosystem.
0: it, it is strange, go because we're mentioning again, but we kind of brought this up with the whale, the bottom of the ocean stuff in the very beginning. How are these things so well adapted for such a rare event? Is it, is it just that they is it just that they have um, such a kind of diverse toolkit that they, that they can jump on and exploit uh, 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 a wide variety of opportunities that, that might come about?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I would first say that it's not as, it's not as rare as you would think. Mm. It's not as consistent say as maybe leaf litter that falls in a forest. Right. But animals die all the time. Mm. Um, They're usually decomposed and consumed pretty quickly. So we don't see them, you know, when we're out on a hike, we don't usually see a lot of dead animals, Um, but they do. I mean, animals are always around and they do, they do die. So there's enough that um, for specialized species, say like, like blowflies, which, which um, like to lay their eggs in carcasses. um, There's enough around that those species can, can kind of make a living and and survive, right? They're always going to find the next carcass. They have very highly developed sense of, um, uh, it's not smell, but they're able to detect um the decomposing carcass um and find the next host but for the microbes especially the soil microbes um it's more just that they are so uh adaptable um if you live in soil if that's your dominant habitat you have to be used to huge swings in moisture as the soil dries and wets you get a rainfall you're totally soaked you get a drought you're totally dry um, huge strength, swings in nutrients coming and going, um, swings in temperature, um, swings in chemistry, you know all the things I talked about at the top with, with the gradients in soil. Mm-hmm. So microbes that live in soil are really well adapted to, to as, as a community, really well adapted to these changing conditions. Um, and so that they can, when the right resources are there, take advantage of those. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I would argue is that the the resource of a, of a carcass or, or a dead body is not um the, the the molecules are not that unusual right so it's um proteins it's mm-hmm. dna it's carbohydrates um so these are things that the microbes are used to getting anyways it's not um it's not like they need any sort of new metabolism to break things down um it's just put in a new form and in a different concentration than maybe they would normally see in leaf litter
0: so so are there different things going after different because i really want like i want different things going after my eyeballs that are crawling into my ears and then like some other things get real excited about my liver and then some things are like like my bones a lot, is it like that? Or is it just like a big soup of everything going on at once?
1: Um, We're starting to see that there are specialized groups of microbes. Um, So the ones in the soil are, uh, I think they're mostly getting the soft tissues, the goo. And so that seems to be one group. We see slightly different microbes that are on the skin versus inside your gut. Um, And then we find even a different group of microbes uh, on the bones afterwards. So microbes will inhabit and and colonize the bones at the end of all this. Um, And that's a different group again. And we think that's a group that's probably better adapted for um, making a living in bone,
2: Hmm. which is a
1: little bit different than those other environments. Um, So we are starting to see evidence that there's specialized groups that, that take out some of these different things i don't know about the eyeballs though those are usually Mm -hmm. first to go and so we've never studied the eyeballs (laughs) Uh,
0: it's just so so juicy there's just something going um. on everything and um. and that's and that's it that's again i the 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 cartoons or whatever must have nailed it i imagine when you when you um like back in the day you'd come across a, a corpse you'd see a maggot crawling out of an eye and that image probably stuck with you enough that you'd tell people about it and then it became kind of a thing in culture where every everyone knew, knows well things start start crawling in and out of your eyeballs when you die and, and <laughs> that's so that's how you draw it in whatever cartoon um w- what about when is the party over you said kind of like a. A month or so but it's got to be that first probably it's probably not well the first day is really great for like your insides i would think it sounds like and then and then like following day a few days in that's when you start the the neighbors start getting having some fun too everyone's real excited at this point still And then when, when's everyone like, all right, kind of fun's over. There's a little bit left. That's, that's probably in the like uh, three week, three, four week range when, when things start calming down.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends on the temperature, but in, in hot temperatures that, that will, most of the soft tissue will be decomposed and consumed, um, somewhere around the three to four to five week mark. Um, And so, yeah, that's when you've got your gut microbes, you've got the environmental microbes, they're, they're very active. In fact, we call it active decay because that's when you see the most rapid mass loss Mm -hmm. uh, in the carcass or in the, in the body. Um, That's when most of the, the um, tissue is either being consumed or liquefying and seeping into the soil. Um, And so that peters out when a lot of the the really easy to use resources are gone. So when a lot of that really juicy, nutritious stuff has been used up, things are going to start to slow down Mm. because then you're just left with the things that are a little bit harder to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, there's still definitely microbes that will break those compounds down. I'm thinking like, um, um, sometimes skin can get, if it dries out and mummifies, it can get a little bit hard to break down just because it's really dry. Uh, keratin, like in your, your fingernails and hair, some of these harder to break down molecules, your bones, of course. Um, and so microbes are breaking those down, but much more slowly, just because they are much, um, they're much more recalcitrant molecules. They're just harder to, they take a lot longer to, to break down.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, so that's a period we call advanced decay. Um, when most of the soft tissue is gone, you're left with bones. Bones, hair, and then maybe maybe some tough tissue left over at the end,
0: um, mm-hmm. and then that
1: period of time can extend for for quite a long time. It's kind of like the slow tail end of decomposition until you're fully s- skeletonized.
0: Where's that tough tissue? Where's that on the body? What's that last little?
1: Well, bit? it's usually it's usually tissues that just have dried out too much, and that that could just be from right. like say it was sitting in the sun and it gets yeah. really hot and kind of bakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it dries out too much, so one of the things these microbes, like all life on Earth needs, is, is moisture, is water. Yeah. So if you take away that, then, then it'll, uh, it doesn't break down.
0: One of the uh, things – oh, sorry. What, I was, the-
1: was going to point out a great example of that is, is like the Egyptian mummies, right, which mm-hmm. are stored in this very arid environment with no moisture. And, and uh, they've sort of stuck Preserves. around for a yeah. long time.
0: Yeah. Well, one of my I I love I love thinking about um perception it, 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 the variety of perception that that different life on it, all, all of our all of our perceptions are kind of adapted to different needs or uh, it, all of life's various perceptions and and I I I really always thought that dung beetles are kind of a really nice example of this of as the, the, this this big pile of dung, which is, uh, you know, if you're if you're a, a large mammal or something, you're you're. It makes all sorts of sense for evolution to um, have all of these uh, uh, disgust mechanisms go off to make you averse to going anywhere near anything that. Looks, smells like we don't need to try um, uh, seeing what that tastes like. We're gonna just stay away from that. But if you're a dung beetle, this pile of dung is like this could be your new home. This is your mating ground. This is like you're gonna raise your children here. This is your uh, this is your bachelor pad. This is uh, you know the best thing that you've ever seen. And and there there has to be kind of similar stuff going on. On that nice hot day where where like in that first couple days of where if you're a human coming by, you're going, what the heck is that? Makes sense to be averse to the smell and anything that looks or smells like rotten meat. If you're a carnivore, probably you want to stay away from it and have a lot of uh, adaption, uh, 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 be well adapted for a, a lot of high alerts for any cues of that. But if you're if you're one of these insects that that's probably just that that's your version of like a nice smelling rose or or something like that what what kind of insects um are are coming in once you once you get like a real a real nice like uh like like a thick like death musk going on like day two
1: yeah, so the um, usually the primary colonizers uh, blowfires are one of the more common insects. Mm-hmm. So these are the ones that will come in and lay their eggs, um, and they're and they're not even they don't even wait till day two. They're often within hours of death. Mm. It's really remarkable how fast they can they can find a new resource. That
0: is amazing. Yeah. Isn't that
1: amazing? Uh-huh. I don't and I don't know why or I don't know how that works, but they can.
0: Um, and you said they're laying eggs somewhere too when they do okay
1: yeah they lay eggs in the body okay so they usually they usually go for orifices so in the eyes one of the reasons the eyes go first eyes mouth ears and
0: other holes yeah Um, (laughs) and then and then you have this birth this explosion of larvae this explosion of life coming out of all of your holes
1: Yes. So you describe this as a pop culture image of like a single maggot. I've.
0: Yeah. Yes, <laughs> usually,
1: usually a writhing mass. Um, oh, it, man, I, I love mean, a good
0: writhing mass.
1: You can hear it. You can stand above the body and like wow. hear it swish and it's moving around and generates an incredible amount of heat too. So mm. you can actually, you know, put your hand over it and feel the heat coming off this writhing mass. Massive maggots. Um, but then you get all kinds of other insects that come in because it turns out maggots are delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have um other beetles and wasps that'll come in and feed on those maggots and other parts of the resource. So and there's a whole community of insects that that make a living off of that.
0: Amazing.
1: And then we haven't even really talked about the scavengers either. There's all kinds of animals that love dead rotting meat yeah um, take advantage of that again great great resource for food so there's there's birds and mammals that, that they always prim- get a bad rap as scavengers they do get a bad rap but they're so important because they are again cleaning up and redistributing all these dead things that would just you know we think are kind of waste or, or nasty in the landscape they can make a they can make a living off of it
0: so so you you got your vultures your your number one archetype Everyone everyone knows what they're up to. Everyone's creeped up by I think they're fantastic. They're weird look. I love how weird looking they are. I like that they're aesthetically kind of ugly in a way that's beautiful, I think. I think it's it's uh they're like intensely ugly by like normal human perception standards or something. And there's and and there's something like very intriguing about about the way that they look uh what else you got um what what else is uh swooping in that was i didn't even think about that i didn't even think about all the big things that might swoop in and eat me this is like a whole i just Mm want to be a buffet i can't believe i almost just cremated my core it's like it's such a waste
1: you're missing out. Think of all the life you could be feeding and all the different... Your carbon could be redistributed yeah. into thousands of different organisms.
0: This is... Yeah. How cool is that. That's amazing. That's so cool. I mean, you do get to keep on living. You're living in all of these uh, various things a lot of them <laughs> a lot of them gross by our standards sure but but uh yeah that's so what other what other large what do we got like in the in the kind of vulture realm of of things what's going to what's going to come by and cr- like maybe um, grab a couple around, bites
1: At least around here vultures are our primary avian scavengers Okay um and then we have we have mammals like raccoons
0: Ooh, raccoons
1: are big scavengers around here.
0: Okay, yeah, Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, raccoons. That's uh, you know the you know there's kind of a little bit of a pet raccoon um craze going on.
2: Is there? Yeah, I mean it's it's,
0: no, you haven't missed out. It's just bubbling. It's like uh, it's like I I'm the person I'm the person telling you about Bitcoin five years ago right Uh now that's that's like where raccoons are are heading put 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 uh put all your money in um raccoon business like uh, specialty like pet shops and like little raccoon shirts and stuff that's where it's all that's where there's a lot of there's a lot of interest in the pet raccoons um but yeah that's
1: cool animals so i get that
0: they are they can climb up amazing that they, so and get into oh like unlocking i used to i used to live on a, a brick, a brick a redstone in boston and i don't know if it was just climbing straight up the brick i don't even understand how it happened i'd have garbage out on the back deck and it would come it would put locks on it and everything um, forget it the thing would climb straight up brick i think unless it was somehow getting up this fire escape situation but and then it would un it would unlock things and it would it it would uh it it would get into whatever and it always knew like exactly what it was going for uh love a raccoon and they're cute for for a bunch of things that dig in garbage they are pretty darn cute um all right well I'm gonna have to get a raccoon researcher on. It's becoming evident to me from this conversation. Um, I get I get a a little distracted sometimes. I'm I'm kind of excitable. Um, um, All right, so so what what are the That was a fun. Thanks for taking us on that voyage of what what happens after we die, if we do it the correct way, which we've now learned is falling over on the ground somewhere and decomposing there. That's the that's the right way to do it. Um, What are what are some of the what's your average kind of day look like? What kind of tools are you using and how do you do the work that you do?
1: So when we're doing uh research at the body farm. Um
0: wait, wait, can I stop for a second? What is the body farm?
1: Oh, it's the nickname that we give to, it's formally called the Anthropology Research Facility.
0: Okay. Um, And so along the way,
1: it got the nickname Body Farm. If Um, you
0: guys start a band, you'll be all set. Right? Yeah.
1: Well, and it was one of those things where I think the I'm I'm not sure that the people who ran it loved that nickname. Uh, their argument to me was always we don't grow bodies. We're not mm-hmm. a body farm. Um but I think they've embraced <laughs> it now. It's just become such a it's it's become a familiar term in, in pop mm-hmm. culture to call these facilities body farms. Mm-hmm. Um but, uh, oh yeah, so a typical day, um, if, it's, um, if it's a field sampling day for us, we um, head over to the facility, which is actually pretty close to to campus. We don't have to go too far from the University of Tennessee campus. Uh, get into PPE, um, so usually booty covers and Tyvek pants and gloves and all that, that good stuff that we have to be careful of when we're dealing with human remains. Um, and then there we will have any number of experiments going on where we have, um, human bodies in various states of decay around the facility. Um, if we're interested in looking at the microbes on the body, we might collect them using swabs and put them in tubes to bring them back to the lab. If we're looking at the soil microbes, we usually use some sort of coring device, um, to take soil samples and get it back to the lab. Um, when we're out there, we, we usually check on any instrumentation that we have set up. So we often have, um, sensors that are recording temperature, moisture, humidity, um, so that we can, we can keep track of all of those environmental variables, variables, cause those all, uh, control the rate of decomposition. So it helps us, um, compare one, one event to another. Mm. Um, then we get those samples back to the lab. Um, We might measure um, various chemical or physical uh, parameters of the soil. So we might might measure, for example, the amount of ammonium, which is a form of nitrogen that's very dominant in these soils. All of our proteins are breaking down to ammonium, so we'll measure concentrations like that. Um, We might measure carbon in the soil. Um, And then if we're interested in looking at the microbes, um, what we'll do is we'll extract DNA, nucleic acids from that soil and sequence it to look at the types of microbes um, that are in those communities. Mm. Um, And we'll we'll go back day after day. Um, The big advantage of these body farm facilities is that they allow you to do longitudinal studies to try and understand that cascade, that succession of microbial populations, who's where, when, and how does that correlate to the environment around them?
0: Mm. So, so if I have a new plan and I'm like, I want to be science when I die. I don't, I, 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 so, okay. I, I, I keel over tomorrow. I have it in my will. I'm like, I want to, I want to be in the, I want to be in the body ranch. Um, uh, ship me over there. What do you, what do I, what happens? How do you, first off, how do you get these? How do you get these bodies in the first place? This is just someone that's done this very thing.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so each of the, the body farm facilities around the country maintains their own donor program. So you would register with with the facility that you would want your body to end up in. Mm. Um, the one at UT here is the longest running and probably the most famous of all the facilities. Um, it's been running for close to 40 years, around 40 years. Um, and it's just really well known. It's been featured in in... Um, popular media. um, There's been books written about it. So I think it's pretty well known. And it's certainly um, a local source of pride. So people around here know about it and and are really proud of the fact that this is is kind of a famous facility here. Um, So they never really have problems getting donors. They have somewhere around 4,000 people that have pre-registered to donate their body to the facility after they die,
0: specifically to the facility. <laughs> specifically to facility. Wow, yeah. I would have never. Yeah. I thought. I thought you just checked, like, give me to science, and then they're like, and then science is gonna fight over the like someone that studies the decomposition of of um, red beards is like, we need that one, and then and then they uh, do whatever. Um, but this is specifically, so, so that's amazing. So you can figure out, so, because I don't listen guys, uh, any listeners, I don't, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to sell you, uh, necessarily on, um, on Jennifer, uh, Debrun's, um, body plantation, but she, but you know, do, do your research I am I'm an advocate for science obviously if you gave your body to science but that's so like take a look around I now well now I got to have more guests that will do different things with people's corpses so people can so I can give people a little taste of their options mm-hmm. but but so you're just you're just well known in the area a lot mm-hmm. of people they they know about the um, the body vineyard and they uh, they're like that's where that's where I want to ship me over there and mm-hmm. you just and you're just up up to their eyeballs in in corpse uh, you get so you get four thousand a year is that what you said
1: no there's four thousand pre registered so these are living people oh. that have filled in the paperwork uh, what's nice about that is that we can collect data from when they're alive and oh, we collect information wow. about them when they're alive so that we can better understand maybe how some of those parameters affect decomposition after they die um so at the facility they they get somewhere around 100 donors are actually put into the facility each year for for decomposition
2: Amazing. and then what
1: what i think is also really neat about it is that after decomposition is is done and and that research has been done um, the skeletons are actually collected and they go into a skeletal collection here at UT as well for further um, biological anthropology research so students can use those skeletons to measure all the things that biological anthropologists love to measure about bones and things
0: wow do they ever like we have enough skeletons we don't we actually don't even need any more you guys have delivered so many skeletons or will they just they're always going to find a use for it
1: i i don't know I don't know if they turn away skeletons. I do know sometimes they turn away donors um, for logistic reasons. What um, what kind of
0: what kind of anchorage do you guys have at the estate? What kind of a uh, what kind of how big is this facility?
1: It's not very big. Uh, okay. It's only a couple acres, so it's it's pretty dense in there. <laughs> um, so one of one of the things actually we're we're kind of interested in is uh-huh. how. 40 years of putting bodies in the same place how that's changed the the soil. So actually one of our current research projects is looking at what what changes we can see in the in the soil from all of this repeated high nitrogen resources which is you, it's really quite artificial.
0: You're probably creating new things. Right. We you got be. new we things that haven't existed before. That's incredible. You're yeah. creating it a- a- like alien, little fun, little alien life forms in your
1: well, possibly possibly.
0: Oh, I love it. Gosh, yeah. this is so cool. So. Uh, all right. Well, what what's so you talked about? You talked about the just the last little bit as we're wrapping up. And I, I only say we're wrapping up just just in case there was like a um any uh, any loose ends that you you were hoping to get back to or whatever feel free to interject um we should probably plug uh um the uh, one health initiative as well and kind of how what you do intersects with the with um all of the other folks in the group but um what well after all that did i just go and forget my big last question oh my goodness gracious this is what it was it was uh so you have all this incredible dna stuff and you're, you're going from um uh, uh able to sequence 10 things to a million things um what what new technologies are on the horizon what if um what what if uh, uh you know people people hear this podcast and for whatever reason they're just like well this is i've never cared about anything so much i need to get more resources to this body farm what what would you what are you looking forward to in the future as as the, where where's the direction that your field's heading what are the exciting things on the horizon
1: well i think one of the one of the key questions we're trying to answer right now is trying to figure out uh, the variation in bodies and how that affects decomposition. So we've long known that temperature and moisture are really important for controlling how fast decomposition happens, how, how long and, and what processes take place. Um, and that makes sense. It just controls biology, temperature, and moisture. Are kind of key controls on biology. But what we've what we've kind of noticed anecdotally, um, just working out there for years, is that we can take two donors that and put them down side by side, same local environment, same weather, same temperature, same moisture, and they'll decompose at really different rates. Mm. And in some cases they'll be scavenged at very different rates.
2: Mm. Um,
1: So one of the things we've noticed is that uh, it seems that diabetic people are scavenged more than non-diabetic people. Um, And so this is hinting to us that um, it doesn't just matter the outside climate, but it also matters the state of our bodies. And so whether that's... um, a body composition thing, you know, how much fat versus, uh, protein or muscle tissue that we mm-hmm. have, whether it's a, a weight, just a mass effect, whether it's due to the different drugs that we take, uh, you know, if we're on antibiotics, we know that shifts our gut microflora. Mm-hmm. Would that influence the decomposition downstream? Um, is it due to diet? Do, do omnivores decompose different than vegans? I don't know. Uh, and so far, we've, we've kind of been limited in answering these questions because of, of sample sizes. It's, I mean, it's challenging to work with human donors. There's a lot of logistical challenges to doing that. And so historically, these types of studies have used very small sample sizes, maybe only two or three bodies in an experiment and that's not enough to tease apart whether i don't know whether gender matters i don't know. Well, you know we just don't have the the sample size to say whether um different different people different body chemistries decompose differently
0: man well i hope i'm a good decomposer i i mean i'd like to do something right i i i'm not i'm not diabetic do you ever Do you ever are you starting to get a sense of because what I would think and this is probably so silly, but my intuition would be like you have some like frail, like hundred year old person that lived this very long life. And and then they finally end up in the body farm. I would think a lot of things are like "Eh, that 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 body. what was started dying like 15 years ago and, and a lot of the work's already uh, been done. Whereas like you have, you have a, a fear young man, like me, 40 years old. I mean, look at this skin. This is like, I could see bacteria and stuff just really getting into this. And uh, do you, do you have a sense of, of anything like that?
1: That is It's an awesome question because we do know that our body changes, uh, both in composition and in tissues as we age, things do get different. Mm -hmm. Uh, so maybe, but we don't know. So one of the limitations is with doing these experiments is we are, we rely on donations, right? We don't get to pick the humans that we do experiments with. Um, and we certainly don't get to manipulate the humans that we do experiments with. Uh, that's, that's a no-go whenever you do human research of any sort, right? Um, yeah. So we're completely reliant on just what, what comes into the facility. And the majority of donors we get are older. So we do pretty much all our research on, on people that are over sixty years old.
0: Well, um, you don't how- start thinking about death until that time. I I'm getting a jump on it today. I don't want to put this off. So I'm sorry, I cut you off again. I'm again, I just get very excited. Um, yeah. But okay. So what, ha- like I'm in Wisconsin right now, like what, Can you be, you don't need to be local. If I, if I check a little, if I sign up for your thing, if uh, they'll just, they'll ship me to you. No, no matter where I, no matter where I keel over.
1: No, they'll do, they'll pick Ah. up within a certain radius in a local radius. Outside of that, you would have to pay for for shipping. But there's, there's lots of other options out there. There's, uh, if you don't go with a body farm, there are, um, we're seeing more and more um, natural cemeteries. Um, which are you know nice forested areas or landscaped areas?
2: Oh, um, so cool. We'll just
1: wrap people in a simple shroud and bury them under a tree, kind of like you want. Um, oh, the shrouds! Are, the shroud's a
0: nice out. touch, I will say. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, just for some, you know. Yeah, yeah a little <laughs> so presentation. Sort of
0: yeah. Um,
1: there is uh, Washington State just legalized human composting, so that's another option. Um, for environmentally friendly, uh, deaf care.
0: Oh, uh, wow. How yeah. self-sufficient you could be. If you have your own compost already, can you just mm-hmm. be like, I want to go in my own, in yeah. my own pile. That's a legal thing to do. I could I write that and be.
1: I don't know the details of it. I'm not <laughs> sure if you're allowed to do it in your own backyard. Uh, I'm not, I'm not up on that uh-huh. No don't speak in the record about that. Um, but I do know they have uh, um, at least one commercial facility that is up and running now. Uh, so
0: interesting! Pops,
1: and they are offering human composting as as a as an end of life option. What about? Uh,
0: oh, sorry, sorry. Go yeah. on, go on. I'm so interested. I was just going to say
1: this is something I love to see this come come to be a thing because we've long used it for livestock, dead livestock and animals. We use uh-huh. composting. It's a really nice, clean, quick way to to break down a body that maybe can't go into the, the food system for whatever reason. Uh, there's no smell, no insects, no scavengers if you do it the right way. It's just a you know two- or three-week composting, and
0: it's gone. I love yeah. this. Very, oh, very man. efficient
1: and green way to do it because your body is turning back into organic carbon, into soil.
0: Um, so... Literally, listeners can just be like, I want to, they can just Google how to human compost near me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think and, Washington State's the only one that's that's okay, uh, going it right. right now. Well, we so need I change. encourage listeners to check with your state laws with respect
0: and to vote people. for. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm now a single issue voter. I'm, I'm. <laughs> a, <laughs> is this politician for or against? Yeah but you know Body a lot compass. of people
1: think that after you die you have to go to a funeral home and you have to use a casket and you have to right. be right
0: like, that, that, is, that so is so silly true. it's so silly I've I've, I've I've legitimately like yeah I, I, all, all kidding aside which i'm first off i'm not kidding that much <laughs> it might be funny but i'm also being being pretty serious but i've always been against the cemetery like i i I just don't get it. Um, I I mean, I get it from a grieving ritualistic thing, but I don't get it from like what I would actually want my body to be like taking up space and for no reason. Right. A lot
1: of times that's some of our best land and, you know, we could use that maybe to. Yeah,
0: I don't know what I, I don't mean to like give people a hard time over uh, over it but but it it just I think a lot of people don't even know this is an opportunity well okay I'm gonna like let's say I sign up uh, for the because I like I trust you with my corpse we know each other I like hey I show up like oh hey Shane okay well that's uh, he's a he he was a man of his word um, but when I, uh, I, if I fill out the form or whatever, um, uh, I go, you, you would start studying me now, like I would, what I would get like some surveys or something, or what am I sending samples? You would, you would start because you said you collect data on the living.
1: Um, so as far as I understand right now, it's mostly limited to, to medical information and it's mm. really voluntary. It's just. You know we ask you to keep us in the loop on what's going on with you mm-hmm. um so that we know especially because we're starting to ask these questions about how um diseases or drugs or lifestyle might influence decomposition we're starting to pay more attention to some of the data that's collected for um for the donors before they they get to us
0: mm. You know, going back to uh, 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 something that I—I I had this question. It does seem pretty important, and I think it maybe loops um, uh, nicely into um, one health. But you mentioned—you mentioned, you mentioned um, when we were talking about these these death events, where all of a sudden there's just this corpse party out in a uh, out in a forest somewhere, and and. How the heck is all, uh, all of this environment ready to jump on, on that opportunity? You mentioned that the, it's actually not that rare of an event that, uh, you know, squirrel or what a deer or whatever a raccoon has fallen over. Um, but I imagine it's becoming increasingly more um, rare with the loss of, of uh, biodiversity. Is there... It, is there some impact on as as we're as we're losing um, just biodiversity loss in terms of mammals and everything else? Is is that then having a impact on? Because we we, you know, we talked about farms and monocultures, but what about what about the uh, the diversity in in um, in just a regular old out in the woods when when there's no longer as many um deer around or or whatever mammals that are turning into nutrients in soil when they die is that having an impact
1: yeah we think so so we think that so if you're changing animal patterns and animal diversity um you know there's a couple things that can happen with that diversity loss you might have change in um animal migration uh, patterns or animal population distribution. So it might change where animals are and where animals are dying. Um, we do think we're seeing an uptick in animal mass mortality events, um, particularly mm. related to climate change events. You know, you have, we have more extreme events generally, and some of these can lead to mass mortality events. Um, but we also think that as animal populations are changing, um, We've thought about this a little bit more on the scavenger side of things, but if you're changing from, say, having some large top predators like wolves as scavengers to maybe some meso scavengers like foxes and raccoons, that might have implications for how fast those nutrients are recycled or where those nutrients are recycled. So you think of a raccoon home range is a lot smaller than, say, a wolf home range. So where the nutrients are getting consumed and then ultimately sort of changed to over landscape. Um, so we do think that changes in in biodiversity will, um, will affect how and where carcass nutrients are recycled, and distributed. Um, but I'm not sure we have really good handle on what that all means. just yet. But it's something mm-hmm. we're definitely thinking about.
0: And could you could you just kind of tell listeners what the one health initiative is?
1: Sure. So the One Health Initiative uh, here at UT uh, is uniting uh, a lot of scientists that have already been working in various areas of plant, animal, uh, human, and environmental health um, and kind of recognizing that uh, that these problems don't happen in bubbles, that that human and animal plant health is influenced by environmental health uh, and vice versa. Um, so it's a really way to, to kind of unite us around particular problems, um, using kind of this multidisciplinary approach.
0: Mm. Great. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been, it's been, um, interesting getting to, uh, cause a a lot of times I have in mind, you, you know, if I, if I'm normally I'd be on tour and I'd look up in a university who's. Kind of doing what, and something that catch my eye, where I would be on the lookout for something that's kind of in my wheelhouse, and I'd reach out to those people. And it's been interesting getting to um, getting to explore what what uh, it, it looks like when when there's a bunch of different people, uh, the, uh, kind of getting suggestions from guests of, of of a bunch of people working on all of these different things that might not necessarily be the thing that i would naturally gravitate to and then finding out the the ways that they all interact with one another and i mean that's just like the journey of 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 scientific understanding is you you keep on learning more you need to learn more and more of these things that are usually outside of your comfort zone or knowledge field or whatever and and realize how many the interconnectedness of of everything and so it's it's been uh it's been really cool. Um but yeah, it's been it's been really terrific having you on. Um is there anything that you want me to direct listeners to? Do you want them to uh uh sign over their corpse to you or anything like that?
1: <laughs> well, we have we have a long list, but uh if listeners are interested, uh they can look at the Forensic Anthropology Center website at, at UT. Uh, I don't have the URL, but if you Google it, we'll I'm sure find you'll it. find
2: it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, body Farm is, is famous enough. Um, but I would also, just to kind of reiterate what we were talking about earlier, encourage people to think a little bit about, about what they do want to happen to their body after after death. And, um, you know, just realize that there's, there's options there and some of them you know if you're concerned about uh the environment there's there's certainly options that are a little bit more environmentally friendly than others
0: yeah i was gonna burn it up i was like well it's i don't want to take up space burn me up uh, there and now this is this is such a better solution Compost, well because you get me. to go
1: back to to organic carbon instead of carbon dioxide which is a greenhouse gas so yeah. It's
0: That's, yeah oh man yeah. all right well i'm i'm sold i'm sold all right um well that's awesome well thank you so much jennifer to for joining me
1: thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure
0: yeah and thank you listeners for being such wonderful curious people we'll talk with you next week